Hello and welcome to Something to Declare. It's great to have you with us. Nice to see you, David. It's good to see you too. You doing all right? Yeah, I am. Thank you. And you? Excellent. Yes, I'm very well. Thank you. Now, Beth, at the end of our last episode, um, we teased slightly um, something about having other ministers in your congregation uh, because our guest today is someone who's in our congregation here in Shoebury Ness. And I'm deeply privileged to be one of the ministers working in, in the church. Um, but we now have um, a retired minister and two other ministers doing a different sort of ministry with us as well. So um, not that long ago, I was the only one. And, and now um, there's quite a few of us uh, pottering mm. about. And I know that's something that a number of our colleagues deal with quite a lot. Um, I've previously had retired ministers in the congregation who have been a lot of hard work. I've also had retired ministers in the congregation <laughs> who who actually have been a total joy and a blessing. And you just think, I'm so glad you're here. You're bringing so much. So it can mm. be done. No, it can be done. Um, is it? I mean, is it an experience you had? Have you, uh, when you were um, in Oxford, did you ever have anybody else in the church? Yeah. So we had Wally um, in the church. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, and he had his role um, obviously with the Faith and Society team doing uh, racial justice work full time. Um, so it was very interesting because you'd sort of see him in occasions, but not all the time. Um, yeah. uh, and I think that can be the reality, can't it, of of ministers who are um, kind of in membership with you is that sometimes if they have a full time ministry elsewhere, they actually might not have that much time and space in that moment to be able to give to the church now it's very interesting because Wally is now the minister of the church <laughs> yeah. so so in the long term actually it's worked out really beautifully um and um and I I'm in membership so um so ah, walked over okay. um, and I've 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 very carefully been not there very often because I think um it was really important especially at the beginning uh for that to for me not to be there whilst Wally was as you know establishing establishing his own ministry in that way so occasionally i'll i might be asked to take a funeral mm -hmm. um because you have those kind of long-standing relationships obviously it was the church i was in as well so it's a little i'm very careful i'm very careful he's very careful to say you know what's useful for wale not what's in the way and i wouldn't ever take one um mm -hmm. where it would kind of feel undermining in any way so um so actually it's um it's a bit of a joy to still be able to be in touch with people because you love them so immensely. And when you're in a kind of a different kind of ministry, then I think um, to have a, a, I was going to call it a normal church. <laughs> I'm not sure anything about that church was normal, <laughs> but it was gorgeous. And, um, and actually having a kind of home that kind of can just be a community of people who, who still kind of care about you and, and that, yeah, that's yeah. really nice. And you still care about that. That's, yeah. Um, so I am the minister in the congregations is the answer oh, okay. but I, I'm very carefully not to be there very often partly on purpose really just okay. to give space um, and I also often worship also because my husband has a church mm -hmm. in the ecumenical world of, of our marriage that I'll, I'll um, fairly often go to him um, it's sort of diplomatic isn't it <laughs> so, <laughs> if you're free on a Sunday to turn up and support your spouse but um 
it's and that's really odd again because then also you're like why did you preach it like that <laughs> but oh, crumbs, that's yeah. very much who we are so that's always been who we are um that's a lot of what's always given us energy in our life is mm. kind of discussing those things we we worked out who we were in ministry together the whole way through because we've been together for so long that um that actually it's not very often that actually that that would be a tension and actually I like his preaching so that's probably, oh, yeah, well that's helpful pretty high praise because yeah. I'm yeah. really fussy uh, <laughs> <laughs> well um just for the avoidance of doubt our guest today is nothing other than a thorough blessing to our church community and um, so we've got the Reverend Helen Semo with us today and Helen um, as we'll hear in the chat in a few minutes, is a mental health chaplain. Um, Helen's also one of our elders in the church and has brought mm-hmm. so much to um, not just the leadership of the church, but the, the whole community really blessed by by her ministry. Um, and it was great to uh, get her on the podcast and have a little chat and find out more um, about that. And all uh, all church leadership should have an in-house psychotherapist. I think that is uh, just <laughs> yeah. something that would be a good thing um so uh, let's uh, have a little listen to uh, our chat with helen well hello helen and welcome to the something to declare podcast thank you it's good to be here it's good to have you here um, now, Helen, you uh, work um, in NHS mental health chaplaincy. Tell us a little bit about what that looks like. What does an average week look like for you? Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm a mental health um, hospital chaplain. I actually cover five different hospitals. So in Essex, the hospital units for mental health are um, quite kind of um, scattered across Essex. So I tend to go to one hospital a day on a set day. So people will um, remember that actually Helen comes in here on a Tuesday or Helen comes in here on a Thursday. Um, So um, an average week, there are sometimes average weeks and sometimes things that are um, really different or really surprising. But my average week um, is around um, connecting with some of the patients on the ward. So in one of the hospitals, there's an assessment unit. So I always go every Wednesday at 10 o'clock and there's a big poster on the wall that says tea and biscuits with the chaplain every Wednesday at 10. So that I went along and did that this morning. Um, jammy Dodgers, Bourbons, today was milk chocolate digestives so that's an opportunity for new patients that have come from A&E or the community just to kind of sit and have a chat pastoral support sometimes religious um, support I take some bibles with me and I take some little cards with the lord's prayer and things like that on so if anybody wants to have a bible then they're kind of there so that's like one particular thing that's quite average and then throughout the week, there'll be maybe different referrals that are made in by the staff. So staff might refer from occupational therapy, psychology. They might refer um, by the psychiatry or by the nurses on the ward. And they'll say, actually, this person would like to see you. Um, so I'll go onto the ward and see um, patients individually. And that can be for a variety of reasons. 
more recently there's been some bereavements that some of the patients have had and because they're not able to connect with their families or maybe attend a funeral we might do some support around that and sometimes offer some space in the multi-faith room for prayer where we've got a prayer tree and just to kind of hold space for people and other times we're connecting more with um, mental health issues that we see in the hospitals such as psychosis and religious delusion um, and that's where we are really discerning what a patient might need what kind of prayer they might need, what kind of support we might offer, because we have to be really careful that we don't collude with anything that's going on in their mental health. But again, really offering a safe space, offering reassurance um, and praying for them and just kind of being there for them. Sometimes they're quite frightened. So it's just about holding that space, I think, for them and reassuring them of God's love and God's peace. Yeah. And. Before coming into ordained ministry, you were a psychotherapist. Um, yes. How do, do you find that is a helpful set of skills and experience to be bringing into the work that you're doing? I think it definitely helps. I remember um, someone saying to me, you know, when you're a chaplain, you have to be really careful that you don't um offer them psychotherapy by accident but actually there's no way that that would happen there was something I was mindful of is actually is there like quite a, a blurred line between psychotherapy and mental health chaplaincy it's been it's been one of the easier things to do in terms of chaplaincy I've found it very easy to distinguish my role and my knowledge and experience as a psychotherapist um, to chaplaincy and so for example we can openly give bibles and pray for people and support them in religious and spiritual needs wherefore in psychotherapy we wouldn't go down that route at all so the line isn't really that blurred but i would say that my training um, in understanding mental health disorders understanding grief and loss listening skills empathy um, and just being able to be present with people i would say is definitely helpful. Um, a lot of chaplains in the NHS, there's a requirement that they might have some kind of counselling or pastoral qualification alongside theological study. Um, I think as well, being a psychotherapist, I've encountered so many different people with a variety of issues that there's a development that happens around being non-judgmental. And so that's really helpful because we see people in hospital and it might be quite easy to judge their behaviours or their decision making or the, the crime maybe that they've committed. So I think my psychotherapy work has brought me to quite a mature place in that sense. Yeah. And what about the work has surprised you most? What hasn't been what you expected? Oh, that's a good question. Or have there been any moments where you just thought, ah, I hadn't thought of that, but you sort of realised something? Yeah, I think probably there's been quite a few moments where I've, I've almost jokingly said, oh, I wasn't taught that in Bible college. Yeah. <laughs> um, although we were taught some, you know, really wonderful things in, in chaplaincy um, in general. I think one of the things that I maybe wasn't really prepared for, and I've had to learn on the job, 
is around the severity of the mental health that I um, see in the hospitals, as opposed to the patients that I've worked with in psychotherapy, NHS and private practice have a level of mental health, but um, they maintain their mental health within the community, mild to moderate, sometimes severe depression, anxiety. In the hospitals, we are encountering um, paranoid schizophrenia, a lot more personality disorder, religious psychosis. So I definitely wasn't prepared for how I might respond to somebody, you know, really hoping that I'll give them an exorcism or hoping that I can go into their room and drive some demons out because, and they're so distressed. And I definitely wasn't ready for that. And I wasn't really equipped to how to respond to that because my training in chaplaincy was, um, I'd probably say, you know, broad chaplaincy training. We, there's lots of things that I learned that came in handy really, really quickly. Um, but the, the severity of the mental health has been um, an eye opener. And at times it's been quite distressing for me as well. So I've had to build resilience around that. And then with the help of my more experienced chaplaincy team have helped me to um, manage patients that are in distress because of religious mania or delusions and how and what to say to them and how to bring some kind of peace to them. The peace that I experienced from God trying to connect with them with that piece as well yeah so you mentioned your training in chaplaincy and you did a, a an ma in chaplaincy at moreland's is that right that's right yeah excellent and i think you your course leader was uh, one of our more prominent baptist chaplains is that right as well was it jonathan yes jonathan woodhouse yeah so very different chaplaincy context uh working high up in the forces <laughs> Yes, very much so. And he has some amazing stories and has had some amazing encounters. Um, I think one of the things that I draw from that, although he was from a different context, is definitely around courage, because I felt I've been um, lacking in courage on occasions and it kind of ebbs and flows when I first started, which is oh, nearly four years ago, before he's in August that I started my role as a chaplain. My first hospital was a prison hospital and I just felt really afraid and I kind of didn't really want to go and do it if I'm honest and I, I just felt actually it's going to be really unsafe and I'm going to be unsafe and um I, I don't actually feel like that at all in that hospital um it's been such a wonderful experience and I think because they're my first hospital I definitely feel like my kind of my first flock that I have real affection for um and so I think drawing on like Jonathan being an army chaplain the courage that must have been needed and the way that chaplaincy I'm sure a bit like pastor in the church is you're you're the one holding people's spiritual fragility together when you maybe want to kind of fall apart as well so I think knowing that it's okay to be wobbly and courage is going and doing it even though you feel really scared <laughs> so the context um 
that he was in yeah it was different but I can definitely pull things from it it's really interesting thank you um now and you uh, came into ministry via a route that um, a few of our listeners will know about but a lot of people might have heard of but not experienced so you didn't come uh, through toward nation having done three years in a sort of standard baptist college training sort of route and said you did your MA in chaplaincy with your other qualifications and experience and came through RSC residential selection conference so um what I know about RSC right is that you know you're there and it's quite intense and there's a lot of interviews and you cover a lot of ground in a, a long time um I mean is, is is that the reality Yes, I think that was my reality. It was, it was such a wonderful experience, um, but it was overwhelming at times and, and tiring. So I think there were about maybe 10 Baptist ministers on the panel and you, you kind of spend three days together. Okay. Um, so we met in Birmingham and we had um, three days and two overnight stays and you you kind of you do a lot together so with the people on the panel and there were seven of us in total going through that kind of particular pathway you have breakfast with them you have lunch with them you have dinner from with them and they get to know you and you get to know them but what I was really aware of is that they're kind of watching the whole yeah. time, you know. <laughs> so it's almost like, oh, don't say anything really silly at dinner because they might not think I'm good enough. And um, I think the journey of finishing my master's and feeling prompted to talk to you about the potential for ordain ministry and the the process that started, there was a very much a um, a mixed feeling inside of this is this is really good and this is really exciting and on the flip side is like why on earth would anybody want me to do that that's that's ridiculous so there was a bit of a battle going on and and I felt that quite a bit at RSC than the for those three days in Birmingham I was having a lovely time and I met some really lovely people that I'd want to see all the time with this kind of paradox of I'm I'm not good enough and i messed up one of my interviews so you have some individual interviews and then you do some group interviews um group discussions and there's a lot of work to complete before so because I hadn't gone down a traditional Baptist college route with degree I had to do a lot of reading and assignment writing before RSC and then you have to write a timeline of your life um which it's quite an intense thing to do. And even as like a psychotherapist, I've had a lot of therapy myself, but I, I realized that I'd missed out a massive chunk of my life and then had to address why I'd done that. Um, and then the, the ministers on the panel, they all read everything that you've written. So it's really transparent. Um, and so there's a real vulnerability in being open and honest about certain things. And one interview that I had was around reading that we all did and I just really messed it up. and. I came out and I was so tearful and there was always a there was always a member of the panel in the lounge with tea and chocolate <laughs> biscuits just waiting for someone to come out in tears who would then just kind of spend the next 45 minutes soothing you and telling you that you're really wonderful so <laughs> oh, it God was, a, it was a, I know I know she was so lovely 
and she actually shared with me that there was an interview that she'd attended I think it might have been when she was at college and she just said she messed it up so badly and walked out and just thought well that's it and and there she was now a kind of senior person in a church who was you know really kind of shepherding us new people yeah so a lovely experience a really really lovely experience I've got really fond memories of being there yeah when I'm talking of lovely experiences um recently we both attended the uh association ministers conference for our association the eastern baptist association and that was your first time going to uh, something like that um was that a lovely experience what did you make of it it was a lovely experience i think um because i really like being around people and i guess that's maybe the chaplain in me as well um so it was really lovely to um be away be away from home for a couple of nights have that excitement of being away um yeah just kind of hanging out with you and joe and a couple of other people that i know as a nam um so that was really really nice i there were aspects of it where i felt um it was quite intense but i was aware that um being away from work for a week i've had quite a challenging few months at work as i've gone full-time as a chaplain and i've taken on lots more responsibility um that there were a lot of people to talk to and at, at points that felt quite tiring um but i i met some really lovely people and um i know one of the questions you'd asked on the way home is did did you make any friends and i'd kind of made some new friends but had exchanged details with two people which felt really nice one one of whom is a chaplain and one of whom is um uh, pastor of a church in another part of Essex so that was really lovely and it was nice to be away from home and use the conference as a bit of a retreat as well so not having to cook for yourself or put anybody's plate in the dishwasher at home because they couldn't be bothered to do it so there's something nice about all getting together yeah so you might come back for another one I reckon I will. Yeah. <laughs> and so you said you met other chaplains there. Were there a few chaplains at the conference? There wasn't as many as I'd hoped for. Um, I think I I met another NHS chaplain who's in general hospital. Um, so that was really nice. Um, I met a, um, a lady who's a volunteer chaplain in our trust. And I didn't realise that she was one of our volunteers because she's in an area where another chaplain looks after those volunteers. So she's not in my area. Um, so that was really lovely. And I met someone who used to be an NHS chaplain and now is a chaplain in a hospice. Yeah. Um, so it was nice to meet them. I think it would have been, I think what would have really kind of um, made it even better for me is if there were, if there was a focus on chaplaincy for part of the few days away, because there's a, um, sometimes um, a bit of a detachment when when the conference is talking about church and you know there was an analogy of a bridge and how we can get people over the bridge and and, and that's all really um, interesting stuff but I think I was hungry for some specific chaplaincy input yeah which I felt like I did get around the lunch table which was good great oh, I'm glad that you found that found that there mm. um, now Helen, on the podcast, we uh, have two questions that we ask all our guests. 
So I'd love to ask them uh, to you. Um, the first is, um, if you had one thing to declare to our union in this moment, what would it be? I think following on from my reflections from the conference, I think it would be definitely to declare um, something of chaplaincy in the Baptist family. So sometimes um, for me, I have a tendency to feel that I'm a bit um, separate from Baptist ministers who might be pastoring churches. And so um, there's often lots of talk about churches and pastoring churches. So sometimes I can feel like I'm kind of, I'm on the outside of the Baptist minister family, um, which can sometimes be quite um, a lonely place. So I think that would be one of the things that I would want to declare to the union that actually, um, I can only speak for myself, but I would want to be pulled in a little bit more. Yeah. 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 It's really important to hear that. Thank you. And if you think that Baptists have one thing to declare to the world in this moment, what would that be? So as a Baptist minister in chaplaincy, I often get asked um, what church I go to, what kind of a priest I am. People often use the word priest. So I, I'll tell people I'm a Baptist minister. And I think one of the things that I'd want to declare to the world is that as a Baptist, as a Baptist minister and a chaplain, that I would want to declare God's love for everybody. So in chaplaincy, we work very much with an interfaith model of embracing all faiths and those with none so being able to declare that although I'm a Baptist minister God's love is for you regardless of what faith you have regardless of your gender your status in the hospital um, regardless of sexuality that there's something really important about how as Baptists we can really encourage love and thought around recovery and redemption and that you know it's it's such a wonderful thing to um, have a discussion around baptism and I recently had a discussion with one of my patients who's in long term for, for quite a few years that actually she wasn't sure if she was worthy enough to be baptized because of things that she's done in the past so having those conversations with her and being able to share God's love with her as a Baptist, I think is really, really fantastic. So I would declare, in a nutshell, God's love for everybody. Hey, amen to that. Um, Helen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and having a chat with me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. was my chat with uh, lovely Helen um where do you want to start from there obviously you working as a chaplain uh, as part of your role so I guess there was resonances with a number of things there yeah oh, it's such an interesting thing to listen to um I've got so many questions I want to ask about mental health and faith I think that was mm -hmm. the thing that really interested me out of what she was saying there um uh I think how 
faith meets mental health and the kind of questions around spirituality and psychology and especially um yeah in those kind of moments of psychosis or um you know kind of paranoia or kind of the things that come out that it can be very complex for people you know uh, what, what what's faith and what's not and um I really find that um I find that a genuinely fascinating conversation something I've met uh quite a few times so um yeah I'm really glad she's doing what she's doing because she sounds like she's got something remarkable to offer into that absolutely I think it's a, a challenge and particularly at the moment and perhaps it's been like this for a few years now but certainly compared to say 20 years ago um addressing and uh supporting people through their uh, mental health challenges it feels like it's a much more prominent part of uh, ministry than it was would that be fair i think absolutely that's true isn't it um i think there's just something that's happened i don't know if it was covid i don't know if it's cost of living crisis i don't know if it's the social media world that we live in um but something has happened to create something of a a mental health i don't know if it's an epidemic i because something's happened hasn't it that means mental health is or why well, should we call it mental health don't we but actually what we mean is mental illness that mental illness is now just a huge challenge for lots of people um and people's lived experience and if it not if not for them themselves then often supporting a family member or loved one through something that's really complex and um and obviously you know for Helen she's meeting that in a in a kind of a particular clinical context which is much more extreme she reflected on that didn't she is kind of the difference from psychotherapy to yes um, health chaplain that was really interesting to hear but I think most of us meet people who who who's struggling um, most of us may have our own struggles as well. Um, mm. I always want to say that as ministers, that we need to, you know, not pretend that we're in any way different from that. Um, and I think, you know, how faith weaves its way through those conversations and how we as a church might be a, uh, a brave enough space, a safe enough space to let people uh, come to terms with some of the things that have been dark or difficult in their lives. Um, or continue to be I think is is really important um and I think obviously the NHS has just got fewer resources in it at the moment CAMS um which is the child and um yeah. adolescent mental health service um it's been decimated which is a real shame because actually if you can help you know children and teenagers deal with things younger then actually that sets them up for the whole of their lives in a much healthier way which has then you know for me as a university chaplain that has huge impacts on our 18 to 25 or it's a huge impact um and i think we're still seeing the real um the fallout of the pandemic on a because because i think if you live such a that's such a formational part of your life and to have lived it in lockdown it just changes the way you learn to relate to one another and yeah um, yeah. and it's also it was hugely traumatic and i don't think we've actually taken time as a country to acknowledge how quite how horrible being locked down was for quite a lot of people um and um and actually, if that happens to you for two years of your life when you are 15, um, that actually um, is a chunk of your life in a much bigger way and a, a really mm. stage of life than if other points in life where actually maybe, you know, 
kind of later you have a bit more of life experience to draw on to navigate your way through something like that and may just have different pressures um in that I mean it was grim for lots of different stages of life I realized but I think I'm really for me it's the young people I'm passionate about but I think we're seeing it come through actually in in, actually every age aren't we in church life and the great thing about church life is it's multi-generational so yeah so short yeah short long answer (laughs) to say a short yes um yes would have done um but actually i was thinking about the well-being cafes have you been like have you picked up on some of these ruth rice is doing yeah we've got one yep i love that um big fan of ruth she taught me at primary school um so there's a really i I didn't know that connection (laughs) wow it really is a small world um so um but i think the whole vision of that it's wonderful i think the way that it it's about um it's such a non-judgmental yet incredibly mm. practical way of creating like good mental health spaces actually kind of how do we have yeah. tools to help ourselves yeah. um, be renewed and i think one of the other sort of challenges i picked up on from hearing helen talk about her work is almost how and I guess this must be true in most chaplaincy contexts, maybe not so much in college, maybe more in hospital or prison or whatever. So you're part of a chaplaincy team, perhaps, but you're much more on your own in what you're doing. So almost, I mean, obviously I do spend time with people in smaller settings, but a lot of what I do is groups, it's communities. I'm part of a team that's doing all of these things. Um, it just feels like you, you're quite vulnerable in that. Uh, and, and I think it'd be very easy um, for chaplains to be quite isolated, mm. it feels to me. I mean, in fact, that was one of the answers that um, when Helen said about declaring to the union, wasn't it? It was about actually let's make more effort to pull chaplains in. And I mean, you must have this a bit in the same way that Helen would have. So to come to the Association Ministers Conference, um, if that doesn't fit in with the timetable of the organisation that you're working for, it doesn't happen. So chaplains are much more dependent on their line managers in the other institutions recognising the importance of these things, which cannot be taken as a given, not least because they might not be other ministers. They might be, yeah, just have a totally different way of thinking. So I think there's so many things at here and it's so interesting. Um, I, there's a really practical thing about time. Absolutely. Mm. You work on the institution's time frame, and that's what you're there to be alongside, isn't it? Um, and so for me, term time is a big thing. Um, and they always seem to manage to put our minister's conference right at the beginning of term. I, there's just no freedom for me to be able to take time off in that place. There's also the fact that most chaplains, I think, are certainly I am, I think lots of others are, are employees. So we're actually ministers are office holders and there's a huge freedom that comes with being an office holder. Um, If you're an employee, your time is contracted in a way that your time is not contracted in ministry. It's it's a gift. Um, It's covenanted, but it's not contracted. Um, My time is contracted and um, you know, I have a I have a job description that I have to complete. And actually in order also to keep the welfare of the community going you know I've got institutional requirements there's institutional risk if I don't do my job right you know actually there's a kind of um there's a there's a much more of a kind of complexity I think of being an employee and therefore with that comes less um less freedom at times I think um less yeah. um 
ability just to yeah to shape your diary as you wish and and I would love to tap into some of the stuff that the union has started doing for chaplains because I think it has yeah. started I think yes. it's really brought some of that through um and and Andy I think they kind of had um they'd kind of really kind of seen that and they'd started to develop that so um but you know even the chaplaincy day it was in my block week I was teaching mm-hmm. all day that day I couldn't also be in a chaplaincy day and I was a real shame because some of the things sounded really interesting and I'd really love to go but but I'm at work and and actually you know you can't not and so I think it was yeah there are so many layers and I did think well perhaps that's the reason there weren't many chaplains at the conference is actually just getting there is difficult if you're a chaplain yeah. Um, yeah and even if then even if your setting enables you to go whether they'll pay for you to go is very different so you're then not only needing to take time off you're then needing to pay for yourself I'm not saying that that isn't a good thing to do but I am saying that for me as a minister in a local church I don't have either of those two barriers to going Mm. um and I think that makes makes quite a big difference um but I would have thought the need for folks in chaplaincy to sort of network together is even bigger because that's harder to do on a day-to-day basis I mean I can you know make time to go meet up with another minister most weeks if I really want to do that that's not possible when your time is contracted as you say so it's a very different dynamic um but it's it's important and I think think I think what you picked up on about the um the importance of if you are if you are the spiritual person in the community for your community there's a good chance that you are therefore this spiritual person in your community for mm. your community. I'm really lucky in that obviously it's a, a Baptist college with this, this extraordinary heritage and the you know continuing formation of ministers. So I am one of several colleagues who is an ordained minister on staff. Um and I've really benefited and really loved having them as a community. And um we also have staff prayers on Wednesday where actually, you know there's a real group of of Christians praying and so isn't the sense that I hold the spiritual life in the college at all um but but I think that's why I heard Helen say is is what happens if you're holding somebody else's spiritual fragility when you're feeling spiritually fragile yes how do you how do you share some of that burden how can you manage that burden um yeah I think I think that's a real can be a real challenge and I think Mm. I think often as chaplains as well you you hold you can hold a lot of the underside of people's lives that's like the yep. kind of stuff under the iceberg and like you kind of you know it's there and you're desperately trying not to connect <laughs> like so nobody you know because you've got to keep the confidence and and how mm. and then you can have this so you can sometimes have quite a vision of a community which is is sometimes the harder stuff rather than the more joyful stuff there's much less of a then there are nice bits there are really nice bits in all, all, all institutions aren't there of celebration but actually I think often chaplains are brought in with things that are difficult and so actually then you can kind of have to remember not to have a really skewed view of the community yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's actually it's all the stuff that lands in your office is particular style because because that's what you're for um yeah somebody called it um who's not a chaplain but I thought was a really interesting phrase about being like the overflow valve of a community's tension okay and things like so the stuff that overflows from kind of ends up with you um and therefore you know if you're overflowing there's a problem with the community right yeah yeah I thought that was a really sort of really interesting bit of insight absolutely and and Helen comes to that with a, a, a good um 
relevant uh, experience in a mental health related field. But what I mean is she's better equipped than many chaplains might be to yeah. process a lot of that and deal with that. Um, but even then she was talking about the, the challenges of it. So I think, I think that's really interesting. I like what you said about how, if you're overflowing, that's telling you something about what's going on elsewhere. And I think that's a really helpful way of thinking about it. Actually, I like that a lot. And it's interesting. She obviously does lots of one-on-one -on -one work. And that yeah. was the thing you were saying about you do groups and, and actually mm. the pastoral care of individuals comes in too, but perhaps less. Yeah. Um, whereas you often see people one-on-one -on -one in a kind of chaplaincy setting and the group stuff much more limited. Um, mm. I think that, um, yeah, and that, that kind of also then picks up on kind of something there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, she sounds really beautifully qualified for the role she's in, doesn't oh, she? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, kind of if I ever wanted to, you know, have a have a, a different role that wasn't ministry, I think psychotherapy would be a really fascinating <laughs> one. <laughs> but actually, all the reasons I know I'm a chaplain is actually because I think there's a freedom in chaplaincy that isn't in psychotherapy with yeah. the clinical kind of style. I think that the thing psychotherapy is brilliant. And mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest means of grace in my own life, actually. Um but but I think and the boundaries of that keep it safe and hold it and yes. are really essential. Um, there is a point where actually people need something that's not that clinical hour or two mm. hours or mm. however many hours a week and they need something else. And I think that the real freedom of ministry over chat over uh, kind of a kind of professional counselling experience is that you can love, um, you know, that it's not to say that you're not deeply cared for in psychotherapy. But I think, um, you know, we can be very honest about loving people and that mm -hmm. being what we're doing and um, people need loving. Um, they do. We, we can blur those lines. If we're not, I think we've got a lot to learn from clinical professions like psychotherapy and getting those boundaries appropriately. But um, because that's still part of love. Um, mm. But I think, yeah, I think there's just, you know, you can do the chatting to people over lunch and you can do the conversations in the corridors about how people's day is and you can do the bibles and you can do the prayer and you can do the worship and you could do all the other things that actually in a kind of in a clinical context you wouldn't mm. be free to ask about or to follow up on or anything and and it's interesting work we have a university counseling service and a college counselor and we working with them really helps you to work out where you are and, and yes. actually what you give is different and very important and yeah yeah, really, really interesting. And um, the other thing I was interested in uh, talking to Helen um, was about coming into or, or finding your way to ordination through RSC, yeah. Residential Selection Conference, which I was about to say sounds horrendous. <laughs> um, but actually, I don't think it does sound horrendous because I, I three days trapped in a room talking to people. I mean, that's my dream, really. Uh, but it, it does sound very intense and very full on. I feel like I had something quite similar, although it wasn't RSC, because we had quite a long day with EMBA. Was this then, MRC stuff? Yeah. And then we had college for two days. That was an overnight when I was there. We don't oh. do two days overnight anymore, but we did then. Um, and I, But I remember that sense of, you know, when I'm eating dinner on my table. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And I kind of... Um, yeah, very alert to that, really. Yeah. Of course, because it's standard practice in other denominations to have residential selection for everybody. Yep. 
Um, yeah, but I can at totally the beginning the... of going to college, not at the end. Okay. I can totally see the value of doing it. I mean, you do get to know people and appreciate people in a, in a different way. And they get to know and appreciate you as well. I think sometimes it's very hard to answer the questions in, in the way that's most helpful, actually, when you don't know the other people asking them, because you don't quite know what they're asking. I mean, I, I've done this in a, a number of settings with other churches. So I could answer that in a number of ways, but I don't actually know what you're trying to get at with the question. So can you help me out a bit? What exactly is it that you're asking? And actually, so it builds on both sides. So I'm saying, actually, I think there's a degree to which as the candidate in those settings, perhaps you also get to know and understand a little bit more of the people who are asking you the questions as well so i mean i'm sure all the people there were wonderful and um helpful and indeed i think uh one or two of our previous guests may have been on the panel um for helen's <laughs> rsc so uh, tip to the lovely barbara carpenter um but uh, it just you know it's obviously a very good thing to have all these different routes in uh, mm. to to ministry but it's, it's just something very different to what i experienced and uh, i found it fascinating it's a really interesting thing being on the other side of those panels um as well like I think because when you're in them for you it's I think it's probably sometimes it's one of the or it's just a gift isn't it to have that amount of time and attention yes. in exploring what God is calling you to be about and that's very vulnerable and she really named the vulnerability beautifully um I, it's such a vulnerable thing to kind of offer all of this stuff that's about you and in every bit which way you know your intellect or your your kind of your home life or your kind of personal things and which bits of your you know she was describing the idea of like mapping your life which just sounds yeah. like an interesting thing I think I might go and do that at some point um but but kind of this idea of actually what what you do and and how that comes through like at the time I think actually as you're having people really sit with us and pay attention and think of kind of some sort of spiritual direction, I think perhaps as ministers, we get used to having had that in, um, because mm. then it gets kind of part like college formation, doesn't it? Where you get constantly kind of reflected and, you know, and it, it can be a bit much at times, a bit intense, but actually it's a huge, a huge gift. And then, then actually we kind of have used to having had this experience in our lives and perhaps continue to have spiritual direction or pastoral supervision people to sit with us and kind of really reflect and deeply listen to the things that and attend to the things that god might be doing i wonder as lay people whether you know for those of us whether we had that in the same way before um and whether our lay people have that in the same way in their daily lives and and their life and actually yeah, I guess that's us. That's our call as ministers, isn't it? Is to be that mm. for them as they're exploring. But it's um, it's really interesting to kind of to reflect. Actually, that's such a huge opportunity to to be heard in that way. Scary, <laughs> really scary, yeah. Yeah. But, but a huge opportunity. And so I love being on the other side of those panels because um, you're just aware that there is such a privilege, and that people do bring really um their whole selves. And, and actually exploring what's right for them and what what really is right for them because you want it to be right for them because you mm. don't want somebody to come and it not be the right thing either that that would be worse actually I think so um really trying to help yeah so I'm a nice bit now where I'm starting to see people I interviewed kind of coming through the other end of college life oh which, lovely so that's been really nice yeah I like that I like that and I like talking to Helen these are good things and I'm grateful to Helen for uh, coming on to the podcast sharing a bit 
of her ministry uh, with us. So thank you, Helen. Yeah, um, and so thank Helen. Thank you. And, and <laughs> I feel like I've got loads of follow-up questions for Helen. <laughs> well, yeah, I actually yes, Chaplin to Chaplin, I'm sure. Um, that's um, perhaps something we might come back to another time. But uh, it, this is actually the end of, of season five. Uh, now, Helen's our last chat for this season. So we do want to um, just thank June and Dan and Val and Fred and Helen for sharing um, with us, for sharing their stories and about their ministry. We're grateful for all of you. And you are part of the reason why we're part of this movement, this union. So thank you. And thank you to everyone who's listened too. We uh, don't take any of that for granted. We're grateful to have you with us. We hope that you've appreciated hearing from some of these friends and uh, we look forward to hearing from more friends in the future. Yeah, absolutely. We've already started some of those approaches and we're really looking forward to <laughs> another season already. So um, yeah, we're definitely carrying on with our wonderful list of people who give us hope while we're in this union thing. Yeah, it never quite stops, does it? It never stops. Um, so, Beth, uh, finish finish for us uh, with our blessing for season five. Well, once again, a huge thank you for this beautiful prayer that was written for us by Jeannie. Um, it's been lovely to use this. Life-giving God, you hold the universe in all its vastness and breathe life into every living creature. May we be blessed with the strength the tasks which you are calling us to and the wisdom to lay down those you are not amen amen and thank you to you beth thank you to harry who does our editing and sound engineering work as well we're grateful for you and we look forward to seeing everybody and thank you to david six. you're doing <laughs> sabbatical and you are producer extraordinaire so um we do thank you for the fact that you're the one that gets us organised and keeps us going and makes us happen. I just turn up and chat, so thank you. <laughs> well, see you all next time. Bye.